Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais with another episode of The Yacking Show. This is The Yacking Show business channel where we bring you interesting guests to give you tips and ideas to help your business thrive and survive in the interesting times ahead. But first, let's introduce co-host Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you so much for that. And thank you all so very much for tuning in to our show. We so appreciate having you. And uh, as Peter mentioned, we always have interesting guests on the show. And today is no exception. We have the great privilege of welcoming Yaren Bean to the show. Hello, Yaren. How are you? Hi, guys. Happy to be here. And um, I, I hope I will live up to the expectations. I'm sure you will. So- I'm sure you will. Yaren is a growth consultant, an entrepreneur, a book author, and a podcast host of the Ecom X Factor. So Yaren, let's just jump right in. Are we rapidly approaching a time where the brick and mortar shops will be a thing of the past? Mm, interesting question. Um, I'm not a big fan of providing predictions. And I just spoke today with a friend of mine and he said that he feels that because of all the advancement and progress with AI, he believes that we might it might be like a cycle and we might go back and people will appreciate more actually the retail and the brick and mortar. Um, I don't think I don't think so, but uh, just an, a different angle and perspective. Um, but definitely, it would be interesting to see how, how things evolve because mm-hmm. I feel that time is moving very fast these days due to all the technological advancements. Yes, absolutely. We had a question. We had um, an expert. He's a lecturer at a university, Dr. Michael Solomon, uh, on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he was he had a feeling that retail would end up in a two tier society or a two tier section. So he said the the elite will have their department stores and uh, that, and the rest of us will probably be end up buying online. So. And that sort of goes in in line with what we, what I see as as an accumulation or concentration of buying power amongst Amazon and other big retailers. Mm-hmm. And again, you don't like predictions, but is is that something you see as well? Uh, I feel that there is some sort of a winner takes take it all mm-hmm. uh, feeling, especially in the e-commerce space. You see a lot of uh, of uh, small players; they are unable to compete with the big spenders, with the bigger brands, and I see like the gap expanding. Um, but it's very mm-hmm. hard to tell exactly how things will, you know, uh, turn turn out. Right. Yeah. Sure. Kathleen, back to you. What will happen to um, the small e-commerce businesses as a result of the bigger retailers getting more of the market share? Yeah, this is an interesting question. I believe that today, if you're not very unique and offering a very unique and authentic angle, you can't compete with the bigger players. Mm-hmm. So it's not like back in the days, people used to start a dropshipping business and they were spending a few bucks to acquire a customer and they could have been profitable and could have been create like a great lifestyle just based on just being in front of the customers. Um, these days, I believe that because of the the gap becoming wider and the media costs are on the rise, if you're not unique and you're able to like very niche down into a specific audience, uh, I think it will be very hard to compete with the bigger players. So what mm-hmm. I believe and what I see is that businesses that are like really niching down and not going after a broader market, 
these are the businesses that can stay lean and mean and still be successful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and there's some good examples there. I'm trying to think of one offhand, but sort of one over the weekend. I was thinking about something. I thought, well, that's what they're doing. Absolutely correct. So tell us about your services or tell our audience about your services and especially why e-commerce businesses should be paying attention to what you do. So um, I provide media buying and just e-commerce and marketing related consulting. Um, I think what I believe is missing in the market is a lot of people that have a lack of experience in in bigger budgets of media buying. Mm-hmm. So I spent approximately twenty million dollars on Facebook ads. Some of that, some of it for my own pocket, and some of it for other companies. Mm-hmm. And I always make this distinction because when you spend money from your own pocket, it really accelerates your skill, your acquisition of skills. I sure. believe because you kind of behave differently. Yes. Uh, but th- this is not to say that I act recklessly with other people's money. But I'm just saying that it's a great way to acquire skills. And I believe what what I'm seeing with other like companies that approach me after they hired a consultant, I see normally what they are saying. What what I hear that they are saying is a lack of being a, a systematic and approaching things from a method methodolog- methodological perspective, mm-hmm. and having like very clear KPIs and being very data driven. So this is what I try to bring uh, to my customers and in whatever I do. I'm a really big fan of tracking religiously. Mm-hmm. I like to track every, every important KPIs on a daily basis, at least. Uh, so I believe this is like, I wouldn't say this is what differentiates me from other people because there are excellent experts in the field. But for me, I advocate for very uh, precise tracking and being very data-driven. And, and mm-hmm. the reason being is because a lot of those KPIs, well, the KPIs are what tell you exactly where your business is at. Um, and that's basically a huge gauge of of where the business, whether they're failing or they're on their way to success, right? Those are the measures. Those are the metrics that you look at. Correct? Exactly. And uh, I heard a joke the other day. Um, what is the worst answer to the question, what was your conversion rate yesterday? And let me check. This is the worst answer. So uh, right. this is something <laughs> people, <laughs> people need to know exactly what happened yesterday: their conversion rates, the AOVs, and the bottom line of their like the profits. And mm-hmm. I believe a lot of people, because they get overwhelmed with the numbers, and this has happened to me in the past. So they kind of lose sight of what's important, and they just keep on spending money and keep on growing mm-hmm. because they assume that everything is working. But very often they're not. You realize when you really dive into the numbers that you're bleeding money. And mm-hmm. this happens, especially these days, uh, when times are harder and people are not just going around buying everything. So you need to be very precise with your tracking and with your KPIs. Are there mm-hmm. specific mm-hmm. metrics that you look at more than others? It really depends on the business and, mm-hmm. and their goal because if we if it's a, like a, a a business that is rich with rich with cash and is just looking to increase the market share, so it would be one sort of a metric. They wouldn't care so much about the acquisition cost because assuming that they have the cash flow, they care more about the LTV. And if it's just a bootstrap business, so they care more about their 
their profits on the front end. Mm-hmm. But in general, what I care is the bottom line, uh, seeing like, for me, the conversion rates, the LTV and the AOV, if we're speaking about uh, e-commerce businesses. And at the end of the day, I want to see the profit from yesterday. Were we profitable or not? Assuming this is what the business is for, you know, uh, creating profits for the sh- stakeholders. Right. Yeah. Before you said, sorry. We, uh, sorry, what were those acronyms that you used? And just uh, sorry, case, so, so, sure, just so, in case some of our viewers are not familiar uh, with the acronyms. For sure. So LTV is lifetime value of a customer. Okay. Yep. This is basically the average customer, how much he spends in our business. Mm-hmm. And not to be mistaken with the AOV, which is like the average order value. So this mm-hmm. is the average order value, pretty straightforward. <laughs> and conversion rate is the amount of people that bought um, divided by the people who visited the website. So let's say for every 100 visitors on your website, if you have four people who purchased, you have a conversion rate of 4%. Okay. Okay. So can you tell us about the steps an entrepreneur should take to set up a successful e-commerce business? Yeah, this is a great question. And there is a there is this line by Char, Charlie Munger, which is a very fa- mm-hmm. famous investor. And he says that learning from mistakes is great, but it's better to learn from mistakes of other people. And I made a huge mistake back in the days that I just went into the business. And okay, it brought me to where I am, so I don't regret anything. But what I see a lot of beginners doing especially because they just want to make a transition between their nine to five into like a sustainable business. They just hop into the business without building a business plan. Mm-hmm. And I understand that people want to avoid the business plan because some of us, we want to move away from the corporate job. So we don't want to create more bureaucracy. This is the reason why we're building our own business. But on the other hand, creating a business plan is, is very helpful and now when I work with customers or I advise to friends of mine that they want to build a business, I tell them, listen, I know that you don't want to do this. I know that you don't know how things will turn out and you don't want to build a plan because you have no idea what will happen. But still, I believe that building a business plan is a great practice. Mm-hmm. So this is the first step. And in this business plan, I would include like, what are your skills? What are you interested in doing in the long term? Um, how much capital do you have? How much time do you have to invest? Because a lot of people, they just enter with the aspiration to be successful, mm-hmm. but it requires a lot of resources. And you need yeah. to make sure that you have enough resources in order to meet the threshold of having success. So this is why I suggest just building a business plan. This should sort you out. Uh, like the first initial steps should be covered by the business plan. Okay. Yeah, very, very, very important. Uh, leading on from business plan, an area that I think many small businesses, even large businesses, neglect is customer retention. And you, you have a lot to say on your website about that. So, for again, for our audience who are not familiar with the term of customer retention, I know why it's important. You, can you explain to our audience why that is so important? Yeah, for sure. So, customer retention is basically... Um... It's also part of the LTV that we discussed before, sure. the lifetime value. So customer retention is basically once you acquire the customer, so let's call this customer acquisition, you have them in your database of, of email marketing or SMS marketing, and your goal should be to retain them. So retaining your customers means keep on selling them uh, for many, many more uh, transactions and many more days. And a lot of people 
um, they just focus too much on the acquisition. Mm-hmm. And if they see something is broken with the retention, they just pour money on the acquisition. But in my opinion, if the retention is bad and to each difference has different metrics to, to show is that the retention is bad, it means that you're not over delivering and something is off with your product uh, and the customers are not having a great experience. And this will create uh, a problem in the future because at the end of the day, uh, acquiring customers is way more expensive than retaining customers. And Absolutely. if customers are not happy about the service and your products, so you're basically uh, building to fail or planning to fail. Planning to fail. Absolutely. And, and I, from my observation, one of the problems with that is that acquiring the customer is the job of marketing by and large. Retaining the customer very often might still be the job of marketing, but it's attended to by all sorts of other departments in the business, from shipping to uh, debtors to receiving whatever, customer complaints. And very often that's where the whole thing falls down, is that the rest of the company are not on board with with the strategy. Have you seen that as well? Yes, this is a great point. And I see a lot of companies discussing uh, these integration points and some people don't call this marketing anymore and mm-hmm. some people call it sales and some people they, they have the retention team under the head of marketing and some people have the retention team under the head of product so it really depends and every marketing every team every company has different definitions to these things but at the end of the day i think it should be uh, the company's effort because this is the most important thing so mm-hmm. Having someone with the knowledge to integrate between the product department and the operation uh, department and the marketing department is crucial. Um, But I see, I definitely agree with your point because I see that a lot of marketers like who are in charge of the acquisition, they only care about the acquisition uh, Mm -hmm. because they are also incentivized based on the acquisition. Sure, sure. you know, they can really push, shove products down customers' throat because they are incentivized by the bonus, the, by the sales, but they don't care afterwards if the customers are asking for refunds or customers are complaining. So this is something very um, complex. Yeah. And it really boils down to like the management, the management team, how they incentivize the the, the employees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I read a, a lovely case study a couple of years ago. Um this person who who was a marketing guy and he estimated he would spend over his lifetime or his, his while his children were young several thousand dollars with a certain retailer um i can't remember exactly what it was he took his his young daughter ice skating at a public rink which had vendors all around the side and this company that he supported was one of the vendors his daughter had asthma or whatever, and she needed a drink of water. So he skated over, and, and they were selling drinks and all sorts. He said, please, I haven't got any cash on me because my wallet is in the change rooms, but my daughter's struggling. Can I have a glass of water or a bottle of water? And they said, no. So he said, well, you know, no, they would not give him a free glass of water, right, which cost them cents. And he said, because of that, they lost several thousand dollars worth of business. So that's always stuck in my mind that you you mm-hmm. can lose a customer so easily, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm sure like, you've got some cases like that as well. For sure, this is an excellent uh, excellent story. I, I really li- like it, and I think it's an important takeaway. Mm-hmm. That being said, I see a lot of businesses, uh, especially in the US now. You know, back in the days in the US, uh, they had this slogan: "The customer is always right." Mm-hmm. Yep. 
but I see, uh, I, I read a few articles in, in marketing magazines uh, regarding the fact that the, in the US especially, they are suffering from customers' abuse. Yes. So now these days, for example, you know, customers use, we had this free shipping and free refunds in many stores. And now I see a lot of stores charging for, for the return. Mm-hmm. And this is something that you wouldn't have, have heard about like two years ago. That's right. So, but businesses realize that customers are, to a certain extent, abusing this policy because they just order sure. a lot of stuff, they try it out, and then they return whatever they want. So it's a it's a thin line and a fuzzy line. You need to make your customers happy and over deliver. But on the other hand, you really need to make sure that you're not being abused by your That's customers. Right. Well, you're absolutely right. Reading those similar reports to, to what you mentioned, um, many retailers are pulling out of San Francisco because of the crime, right? And mm-hmm. and Kathleen was telling me the other day about some major retailers in New York that are putting a whole lot of merchandise behind locked display cabinets and going back to like a department store environment where you have to go to a counter and get served because of theft. Isn't that right, Kathleen? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, changing environment. Yes. Yaren, assuming that I have my business plan out of the way, so it's the initial step that you've already said that you would advise any anybody's trying to start up an e-commerce business, assuming mm-hmm. that's out of the way, and I really am I'm, I'm gung-ho and I really want to start an e-commerce business, how would you help me? What kind of services would you provide and how would you instruct me to, so that this becomes a successful business? Mm-hmm. So... These days, I'm, I'm mostly working with established businesses mm-hmm. because uh, working with beginners is, is very fun and also very rewarding, but it's, uh, it, it has also very complex issues because people, there, it's one thing to start an e-commerce business if you already were an entrepreneur and you know how to handle the financials and accounting and, and team building, stuff like this. But it's another thing just to start your journey as an entrepreneur. These are a lot of soft skills that are involved that are very hard to teach. Mm-hmm. And in general, mm-hmm. in life, like in anything, most people don't succeed at the, at the first attempt. This is just life. That's right. So uh, that being said, uh, it's very context dependent. So I would like to analyze, first of all, what is your skill set? If you have like media buying, if you have media buying experience, this is one thing. If you're a great content creator this is another thing and based on this we would build a plan basically in the business plan already and see what is the the smartest route to go like what is the smartest route to go to because some people they lack money but they have a lot of time and some people have the opposite so it really depends and each case is different Um, in general i would advise picking a topic that you're interested in and not just trying to sell in the name of selling, because I mm-hmm. don't think it is really sustainable. Uh, although people might disagree, but I don't think it's sustainable. And you have to have a certain domain expertise that you bring to the table. It should be uh, related to the product or some marketing related. So I would suggest understanding like what is it that you bring to the table, what you would like to cultivate, what is your experience. And based on this, we will like crystallize the plan. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Mm. Well, let's, okay. let's interesting. Switch, let's switch gears a little bit and, and bring mm. the focus to you and how you got started in this line of business and what made you decide to do a podcast. Uh, okay, great. Uh, it is a, it's actually a very interesting story, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, based on based on the feedback that I'm getting. So, 
Uh, I, I served in the special forces in Israel. And after I served in the special forces, uh, I went traveling and I realized that I love traveling. So I went back after traveling. I went back to Israel. I studied for four years as an started working as an industrial engineer. And then mm-hmm. I went traveling again. And I was with my wife. We were in Thailand and we asked myself, ourselves, okay, how can we back? Can we get back here as soon as possible? Uh, and we didn't have a plan. So I started working in an ad agency and a friend of mine, we were sitting in a bar in Tel Aviv and he showed me a screenshot of his Shopify store. Uh, and he told okay. me that he was making sales. And until that moment, I thought that he, this was just BS, that Google was selling the courses, but nobody's really able to make money from dropshipping. <laughs> but this was a childhood friend of mine and he showed me the screenshot. So I said, okay, tell me how. And he explained. And the morning after, my wife and I, we built a store. And the same evening, we we got lucky. We got our first sale, which is wow. very, very lucky. <laughs> it yeah. was like, I, only now I realize how lucky we were. But this, this showed us, gave us proof that it's, it's possible, you know, to make money online. And you don't have to work only like nine to five. And you can actually gain profits um, as an entrepreneur. So while we were both working, my wife is an architect, I'm an engineer. So while we were both working in a nine to five jobs, we came back every evening and we developed this dropshipping store, which eventually after like two years, we felt it was sustainable enough. We were making way, way more money in the dropshipping stores than in our salaries combined. Mm-hmm. So we decided to quit and we moved to Thailand. This was already five years ago. So since mm-hmm. then, I've been uh, in, the mar- in the e-commerce game and I've been building more stores and uh, consulting more clients but this is just uh, this was the beginning the most uh, uh, anecdotal rich uh, yeah. part of the story <laughs> wow very good out of curiosity i'm just curious what was it you were selling that sold so quickly it is what we were trying back in the days and this relates to your question before about how would you start so we had a very experimental mindset and we just took whatever we saw in our newsfeed as customers. We, we copied the landing page of the advertiser and built it in our store and started paying money to Facebook in order to promote the, the, yeah. the, the product. So we were kind of testing everything. And this was, uh, it was a, it was just a piece of like sticky. Uh, it was a, a black sticky thing that you can put on your cupboard and then you can stick your cell phone on, on this uh, okay. sticker. It okay. was the most, the most simple thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And afterwards, we we sold the other stuff, you know. But this was like the first sale. The first uh, one. Forget the first sale. Yeah. Wow! Very good. Excellent. <laughs> I I want to go back to you. We were talking about metrics just now. Have you got mm-hmm. any any favorite tools you use for? This is a two part question for to advise small business owners to get to better understand and analyze their business. And the second part of that question is Google have just made a quite a big change to the Google Analytics as of two days ago, 1st of July. Mm-hmm. And the old Google console now is, is sort of gone and you, we're all onto this new thing, which I'm still mm-hmm. trying to understand. So a two-part question, but do you have any special tools and, and how would you advise people about Google? Yeah, so first of all, yeah, this Google thing is, is uh, a lot of people are curious about this move. Uh, I, I didn't speak with anybody who is happy about this transition but uh, it will take time and we will get used to it. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe that Google Analytics and Google Tag Manager are very important and very valuable. And anybody, everybody that is in the online space should get acquainted with this platform at least 
watch a few tutorials and play with the different dashboards and reports. Um, regarding the other part of, of your question, there are a lot of tools that are more advanced, you know, with heat maps and session recording, stuff like this. But something that I see that is often overlooked by beginners is uh, usability testing, conducting usability testing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people in more advanced level are discussing split testing, and this makes sense when you have a lot of traffic. Yes. But when you're just starting out, I think that usability usability testing is very important. Uh, just to clarify, usability testing is basically asking a potential customer, like someone who might be your avatar or, or some people call it uh, your customer persona. You just give them a, a link, let's say your landing page, and you ask them to conduct a transaction. And mm-hmm. you can screen record uh, the whole process and ask them to commentate and tell you what comes to their mind during this process. And when doing so with like five people on a monthly basis, you get a lot of insights regarding the customer experience. And this is cheap and has a very big impact, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So this is a qualitative research that people are overlooking. And I think is very valuable, especially for beginners that don't have a lot of traffic coming to their website. Yeah, that, that that is a very good point. Very good advice. <clears throat> and I'll give you an example of a stupid mistake I made. Mm-hmm. That on on one of our e-commerce shops, we sell transcripts of of our premium members' uh, interviews. And when I set it up in WooCommerce, I missed one entry on setting up the product, and I left it so it was charging shipping on a digital download of a PDF, which is mm-hmm. stupid, right? And it was one tiny, simple mistake. And I couldn't understand why no one was clicking through on this thing. And then I did exactly what you did. I did test run myself with a different email. And, mm-hmm. oh, you you idiot, you know. So that's why that usability testing is so important. Thanks for that reminder. Very good. So, Peter, so, sorry, Peter, I just want to clarify something because this is this is actually news to me. You were saying that Google just recently changed their algorithms again? No, no, they changed their whole analytics system of reporting. So whereas we used to use Google Console, which we still can in a way, I don't want to delay it too long here, but the whole Google analytics system has changed to to a new classification. It doesn't affect search, but it affects how we interpret what people are doing on our sites. That's I just wanted to clarify for anybody. No, sure. Because it was... I had no no idea that they had No, don't worry. A lot of people haven't picked that one up yet or, or have sort of put it in the background, not paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. And as Yaron says, we all businesses need to get involved and need to learn the changes. Right. So Peter, I'm, Yaron, I'm watching the clock and I know that so, so am I, so am I. <laughs> I know you have I'm a burning watching, question though. I've got a burning question. And and Yaron's a really good guy because he's had such a wide experience and lived in so many different countries and done all sorts of things. So Yaron, is is there a, a in your experience is there a single characteristic or mindset or even a habit that sets successful business leaders apart from those that remain average or or just don't make it? Is there one thing or is it more complicated? Like anything in life is complicated and complex sure. and context dependent. Um, I. I haven't solved everything, so I will just uh, use the the answer that was given to this same question by Dan Kennedy, which I consider the best marketer to ever live. Yeah. Um, and what he says, and he worked with many entrepreneurs, and when asked this question, he said that what he noticed with the entrepreneurs who make it, quote unquote, from a financial perspective, because making it and uh, being successful really depends on sure. your own goals. 
Yeah. But uh, in, in this context, it's a financial perspective. So he said that what distincts the successful from the non-successful is the ability to recover from a failure or knockdowns. And okay. so basically persisting and recovering very fast. So yeah. if something yeah. bad happened to your business, you can dwell on this uh, for two months, three months. So if Google changed their algorithms, you can cry and, you know, try to find workarounds and be disappointed. But I think, I believe what successful people do and what I try to do is bounce back as soon as possible. Just change your mindset and keep moving forward, understanding that this is part of the journey. Yeah, yeah. Very, very good. No, you're absolutely right. Very good answer. Excellent. Thank you for that. So, Yaron, sure. how do people contact you? Yeah, so uh, I'm mostly active on LinkedIn. Okay. People can just search my name, Yaron Bin. I'm pretty unique from this perspective, so I don't yeah. think it will be so complicated to find. And also by Googling uh, the Ecom X Factor podcast, which is the podcast that I'm, uh, I host and uh, interview e-commerce and marketing experts uh, like you guys. So yeah, basically Ecom X Factor or your own bin in Google and they'll find me. Excellent. And for our audio listeners, those details will be in the description on whatever platform you happen to be listening to this on. So for me, Yaron, thank you so much. That was really interesting. Enjoyed chatting to you and uh, hearing hearing your ideas. And back to Kathleen to finish off. Yes, thank you, Yaron. Thank you so much for being here today. And thank you all again for tuning into our show. And if anyone is interested in being a guest on our show, we invite you to visit our website at theyackingshow.com. All you need to do is click on the contacts tab where you will find a short application form and we would love to hear from you. So until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.